Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes fils et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, this is a super unique episode uh, for the French-Canadian Legacy. One of the expressed goals of the podcast is to highlight businesses with ties to Quebec. Today we are doing, doing just that, as we are on location at the New England Taphouse Grill in Hookset, New Hampshire. And joining us here on the podcast are the husband and wife team who opened the restaurant. Dan Legault, Legault, and Valerie Vanessa. How did I do with the pronunciations first? Any, Perfect. Anyone yeah, close? Good. Not too bad. <laughs> well, Dan and Val, welcome to the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thank, Thank you. you very much. All right, so first of all, uh, start, I guess, Dan, where, where are you from? Uh, originally from Stansted, Quebec. Stansted. Uh, yeah, it's, which is a south, the, probably a, a little small town. Actually, it's technically BB, Quebec, which is BB, even Quebec. closer to the United States border uh, than Stansted uh, to a certain extent. We live like a quarter mile away, if not, if not less than that, uh, from the American border. Gotcha. And how big a this town. What are you talking oh, about? We're talking people? about uh, our town had, I think, a thousand people, <laughs> and then uh, the town next to us had fifteen, and the, oh, I, I think the biggest town uh, around us was like uh, eighteen hundred, oh, and wow. they basically combined everything. <laughs> All, they, I think, they took five or six municipalities and they combined everything together to make a, a, a big city like a big town <laughs> sure. Stansted which is extremely large but uh, well not extremely large let's just say it, it's, it's, it's bigger it's, than uh, your town this and, yeah. Yeah. and uh, there's probably uh, probably now 5,000 people in that whole surrounding gotcha yeah. so still a pretty small place very small place that's yes. awesome Novel, yeah. you, you from the same place I'm from Magog and now so what is your town like Magog is maybe like, uh, I will say like 15,000 people, okay. uh, is really like touristic. So oh, really? because we have uh, the Mont Ferry <laughs> over there, so a skiing area gotcha. and we have a huge lake, the Menfrey Magog. Uh, so that creates a lot of tourists from Montreal. So the people from Montreal come in the town. Gotcha. So it's really cool. Town. So is it, uh, <laughs> is it busier during... Like, is it seasonal? It's like, almost during like the summer, it's, is it crazy? Yeah, summer, it's crazy because of the lake. You know, sure. everybody want to go on the boat. And yeah. the winter, like, we have a lot of skiers, so that's, that's great. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, so what, if anything, did you guys know about Franco-Americans before you came to this area? Is, you guys have ever talk about it, ever learned in school? No. We had, you had like two million people leave or a million people leave and you just kind of, Had no it? clue. Had no <laughs> clue. We basically walked into this uh, and we realized on our first day when we walked into Walmart, uh, <laughs> we got greeted by this lady that was probably 80 years old uh, sure. and we started talking French and we thought we were the only people in the United States that spoke French oh, at that awesome. time. Yeah. We walk into Walmart, the first person we meet and she comes up and she says, Oh, mais bonjour, comment allez-vous? And she walks, she, she greets us right in. That's awesome. And she goes, Where are you from? And how you, what are you doing here? And sure. we started talking, and it was immediately 
at that point that we realized we cannot talk bad about anything. <laughs> there's always an eye, there's always an ear somewhere that understands what we're talking about. That is very funny. Yeah. Uh, some, something similar happened to my dad once when he was at the he was at the bank and the people in front of him were bad mouthing. Because my dad's got like he looks like a hippie. He's got a big ponytail and stuff. And they were bad mouthing guys in ponytails. Yeah. And they were went to leave, and my dad just said back to him in French, "Thank you very much. Have a nice day." Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It was quite interesting because we started off with that experience and then after that multiple experience afterwards and the first people that adopted us uh, because our kids were completely French so yeah. they had no English in their lives at all oh, wow. uh, okay. the youngest one was three at the okay. time sure so she was completely English uh, she was French and then we moved to the United States and when we moved she was co she we immersed her into the English right away sure. uh, but the we still had some issues because she was still very French. Right. Uh, so when we brought her into daycare, the first time we brought her into daycare, no one understood what she was saying. So the daycare said, my mom speaks French. Maybe she can come over oh, and awesome. talk, to yes. my, talk to your daughter. Oh, that's very cool. So she came yeah. over. It was right here in Hooksit, Tic Tac Tots. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Kelly and Claudette. <laughs> Miss That's Claudette. Miss yes. Claudette. There you go. Yeah, so she, Claudette came in and she says, poor kid is, is, is starving. Poor kid is, is, is parched. She needs to drink water. So she's she was calling, oh, sure. oh, yeah. oh. And they didn't understand yeah, what no, she was saying. Sure, right. So basically, she... From that point on, they adopted us. That's and awesome. We went to Thanksgiving that year with them, and Very cool. we got immersed right into the, the the American population with a French connection. And then we realized there's so many memes and pepes out For sure. here. We had no clue, and then we realized. <laughs> and then the I guess the big eye opener was the cemeteries. Absolutely. Went to the cemetery, yeah. and you see the Martineau, you see the Thibault, you see all the the, yeah. the different Frenchies that came over. Uh, you are 100 percent right. I mean, we they say kind of same thing. Uh, we had a listener come down, a couple from Drummondville. We took them to uh, Mount Calvary Cemetery, and they were just like, "We got that name in my town. We got that name in my yeah. town." You're right, over and over again. That's yeah. very cool. Now, do you guys still speak French in the house? Yes, kids? absolutely. Oh, that's time. important. Yeah. No, I'm glad. <laughs> so, how, how many kids do you have then? Two. Yeah, two. Two kids. girls. Yep. Okay, two girls, and they both spoke French before they ever came here. Yes. Yep. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. All right, so what brought you to New England then? How did you end up from you know, small Great. towns in Quebec to Hooksett, uh, New Hampshire? <laughs> well, we, uh, we started a company. Uh, well, her brother started a company, uh, Granite Design, which is a granite countertop company. Okay. And we basically got in right at the beginning when they first opened, six months after they opened. And about a year into it, uh, we were talking about the American. Uh, we were in the U.S. at that point. It was sure. before 9-11. So there was no visas. You just basically walked in. You can, you can come in to yeah, work. Right. You can sure. do whatever you wanted. Yeah. Uh, so we brought in some crews, and we started installing granite countertops in the U.S. Gotcha. For the first year and a half, two years, and then eventually, uh, for after a year, uh, we had some issues with quality control. I had to travel back here all the time to sure. see some countertops that were defectives or just to meet with customers and it was just, it was overwhelming. Sure. And the owner of the company said, hey, maybe we should actually have a represent uh, a representation in the US. We gotta find somebody that's reliable, we gotta find somebody that we could trust. Who do you think we could do that with? And I said, well, I'll go. 
And nice. he goes, well, yeah, my wife, <laughs> my, yeah, my sister is, is your wife. Sure. Uh, what do you think she's going to say about that? She's, I said, I'll convince her. There you go. I'll give you an answer by tomorrow, and we can move within a couple of weeks. And he goes, That's awesome. well, you've got a house. I'm like, yeah, but this is time. This is go time. This is an opportunity. Time to go. That's so awesome. So went back home. Daughter, I can still see the day where <laughs> this happened. She was in the tub with my kid, with Aunt Leah. Uh, and basically, I walked into the bathroom and I said, "Honey, how do you think about moving? What do you think about moving to the United States to open up the American division for granite design and start our own uh, insulation company?" And she goes, uh, "When? <laughs> really? Before Christmas?" And we were end of November. Oh wow! So and so by December twenty-six, by December twenty-seventh, we were in the U.S. And we were placing our first order. Uh, That's wild. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. We sold our house. We <laughs> she quit her job. Yep. And so, so what were you doing before? I was a bank manager in bank manager yeah, instead. Instead, yep. Gotcha. And you're totally so, different. Yes. <laughs> so how did you guys go then from bank manager and countertops mm -hmm. to like I think I'm gonna open an awesome restaurant? Oh, like restaurant. how does that happen? Well, it's a natural progression. Uh, <laughs> of course. Every brand countertop company has a division of restaurants. There you uh, go. No, we walked in one day, and uh, my daughter, uh, the oldest one at the time, mm -hmm. was crying by her bedside. This was about, I'd say, eight years ago, mm -hmm. nine, eight, eight and a half years ago. And she was crying, and I walked by their bedside, and I, I asked her, what's wrong? And she goes, well, I wanted to be a famous soccer player, and... My friends are all telling me I can't. And I said, but you know what? If you have a dream, don't let anybody tell you what you can and can't do. Full force ahead. Sure. You do what you want. And if you've got a passion, don't let it go. So she goes, well, what's your passion? What do you want to do? Oh, that's what's awesome. your dream? Turn like, it on you. So and I said, well, my dream was always to start a restaurant with Valerie being the servant, the server, and I was uh, the, the chef. And I'd go and dive during the day, grab the lobsters, do my thing, <laughs> and prep the meals, sure. and right in Jamaica or in a hot place, rent kayaks during the day while, she, you know, it was just a, like the, the, the retirement opportunity. Sure. Yeah. And so I said, I want to start a restaurant. And she says, well, why aren't you? That is so awesome. So I didn't have a choice at that point. <laughs> I started crying. I cried and cried. And she says, well, why are you crying? So because dad has been telling for the last five, six years, ten years, dad's been telling everyone that they need to take their lives into their own, own hands. Sure. They need to embrace change. They need to actually be somebody that's, that's powerful, that's a leader. Uh, and to take their lives into their own hands and dad has failed to do that many times because he's just the average joe that's working for somebody else that doesn't have you know no he doesn't have any guts to change because he's afraid of change and i think that right now i think dad is it's time for dad to change and wow. to show you what it is to be vulnerable into something that he doesn't understand and he has never done this before, but I'm going to prove to you what it is to be vulnerable and come out successful. I mean, that is an enormous risk. That was the biggest yes. risk. And then we burned our ships and we said, we're going to, I went downstairs, build the, started watching videos, started buying books 
and immerse myself while I was working for the other company. Uh, I was working at least 40, 50 hours a week for the other company. Sure. And I was working another 20, 30 hours a week at nighttime just to get the plans done, to get the idea, the concept. Started changing my life in terms of meditation, visualization, doing that, the, 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 the whole big concept of building an empire and yeah. visualizing it to see to make sure that you get all the details all down to the details of tasting the, t the, 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 the toothpick when you walk in I had I could smell the barbecue I could hear the music I could I brought it all down to the details for That's so we did crazy. all the we did all the, the planning uh, and after about six months of planning and still working two jobs sure. uh, this job planning and the the regular job I felt like I was cheating on my brother-in-law right. uh, the owner of the company sure. so I went over and said I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him and they said hey uh, so I, I basically went up and I said I just want to let you know I'm we're gonna quit uh, me and Valerie are quitting we're starting our own company uh, so they were a little upset because we were pretty much the their right-handed people yeah, right here course, yeah. ran a pretty big business in the US for them it was originally at one point the biggest part of their business so when we moved we took away their opportunity to have that strong base in the US so it was a pretty challenging for them to, to, to get back up and, and do things but we gave them six months notice and then sure. we took off and we didn't have a we didn't have a place right uh, because at the time where I said that I was quitting uh, that same day, the owner of the business that I was supposed to go into and partner up with uh, at the time came up and said, it's not going to be possible. We're not going to be doing business oh, together because the Liquor Commission doesn't want to have a brew pub along with a restaurant under one license. It has okay. to be, uh, they don't want to have a brewery and a, a, a restaurant under one license. It has to be a brew pub. And if it's a brew pub, I'm the owner of the brew pub. And I'm going to give you money on the, uh, as a marketing, and you could run your restaurant in my establishment. And I knew automatically that we were going to be blowing all of their numbers out of the water from our predictions. And so we said, you know what? We're just going to find another place. Immediately came here that same day, met with the owners of the, 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 the building sure. and said, is there any possibility of renting this space? Is it still available? And he says, yes. So uh, I came back home that same day after being told no. I said, oh, by the way, I just signed our house. <laughs> I signed, I, I have a personal guarantee. I just did everything. And uh, we're gonna be doing business in Hooksit. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can't even, I mean, to me it blows my mind uh, that you guys had the guts to be like, I'm going to pursue something I know absolutely nothing about. Correct. That I've never worked in before, but I'm gonna make it work and be successful. That is so cool. I love Reinventing. That is a bit like sleep it's the only thing that really energizes you uh, That's awesome. it, it, it changed our lives it, it really mm -hmm. metamorphosized our whole family it made us uh, who we are today I mean I think I'm a better person today than I've ever been because I I'm doing exactly what I want to do that's so awesome now for somebody who maybe has never been to the tap house explain what this restaurants about what would they expect when they what could they see excuse me when they walk in through that door uh, 
my lovely wife should be telling that story. Yeah? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, when you walk in, you get uh, automatic visuals. Uh, you have a beautiful keg cooler that has 48 beers. You can see all the kegs. You can see all the lines. You can also see an aging keg cooler right beside it where we age all of our uh, stouts, all of our strong ales. Um, we have two bars, uh, 48 beers on tap. All of our food is made from scratch. Uh, we have an open kitchen and we have a 250 seat restaurant, but we can separate it so it doesn't always look, it, it doesn't look empty when, sure. like on a day like today where we've got a massive storm, right. 250 seats, we would look empty. So we shut down half the restaurant and no one knows that there's another half unless you're a uh, uh, regular. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we do everything from scratch. We have everything from your burgers to your steak to your poutine and your Montreal smoked <laughs> meat. That's right. Yes. That's yeah, we actually do, uh, we used to use uh, frozen fries for all of it because it was too overwhelming to do hand cut fries. Sure. And every year we'd go to the Deerfield Fair and we'd do our hand cut fries and people would come back and they'd say, this is not the same poutine we had at the Deerfield Fair. What's wrong? What's different? I can't realize what's different. And then gotcha. this year we said, you know what? We're going we're gonna to do it. Mm -hmm. But it's a thousand pounds of french fries a week that we have to <laughs> hand That's a lot of fries. just for one dish. So yeah, if we do the whole entire meals with the french fries, with the hand cut fries, it requires us to have some different logistics in sure. the back and some different uh, storage in the back. And we couldn't afford to do that before the winter because we we obviously have a farm and we're farmers also. Yeah. We'll talk so, about that later on. Yeah, for talk sure. about reinventing yourself. <laughs> we came from granite countertop to restaurant owner to now farmer, Airbnb, and event Great. coordinator. And wow. How did you arrive? I mean, the process must have been fun, but uh, how do you sit down and decide what your menu is going to look like or what your drink list is going to look like? How did that process come about? Well, I think like uh, Dan, um, Dan select pretty much like all the beer. Like, so when we start the restaurant, like for, for us, like we try to ask, um, okay, what you're good at, you know, gotcha. for the selection. And for the beer, Dan have more the palate. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he decided about sure. this and yeah. uh, we create a menu. Like, but we want to make sure like we bring also like something from Quebec. Sure. Okay, so we have two items right now on the menu. Like, and I think like people really enjoy that. And we hired a consultant also. Because gotcha. yeah. the most important part was to realize what we didn't know. Right. So we hired a consultant firm and we basically started off with that and they uh, steered us into a direction and we said yes, no on this, no on this, yes, yes, yes and we moved forward on that and as we went along the menu changed on the first month. Oh wow, okay. Uh, it, was, it was a shotgun approach. We didn't know exactly how the market was going to react. The same thing for the beer. We started off full shotgun approach with a little bit of every category and then when we saw that people were not going into a specific category like the Belgians at the beginning sure no one touched the Belgians everyone was off the Belgians they were all and a lot of people were into the domestic beer so our Bud Light was our number one beer for <laughs> many years because, and then but we kept all we, we always kept a beer that was similar to Bud Light but a craft beer sure so we could say hey you like Bud Light here's a sample of this try this and that's gotcha. how we upsell uh, and for the menu, uh, every month uh, we would go back and watch our P-mix, our, our product mix, and sure. see 
where we're at and what's good, what's not good, and why are we holding on to this item? And it was, it, we could easily, we were so small, we were only two people that we right. could just say, hey, you know what, let's reprint another menu and change this and change that and put it back. And eventually we got it right. And That's just awesome. like other restaurants, because we actually did all of our markets, uh, market research, uh, we started off all of our market research at Takaway Tavern because they had just opened up sure. and their menu was awful when they first started. <laughs> it, was, it was all like price, like the first item was $1 and the last item was $26. Right. And it was not in any category, it was just by price. And we're like, this is not what we want to do. Right. And then like us, they regrouped and within a couple of months they were on fire and right. we were on fire. It was our biggest competition and still, <laughs> and, That's and awesome. still to this day. It, uh, they're still our, our, one of our biggest competitors. That's fun. Now, you, you do mention you guys have puts in here, which is something we've talked about yes. quite a bit on the podcast. But I've gotten different answers from different people in Quebec about this. Did you guys grow up with puts in? Is this something that you yes. had like in your town? Because I know some, t- some do, some don't. It was very funny. Some of the people I've talked to. Yeah. So this is always something that you've been... Oh, with. absolutely. I mean, I had a... Look, cats in Katzin Chez Serge, it's a it's a it's a little uh, it's a little hole in the wall. Uh, basically, it's a it's like a diner style on the side of the road, but it wasn't like on the side of the road. But it's a small little shack, sure, uh, the size of the Red Arrow in Manchester. Okay, so very small, but the, obviously the Red Arrow in Manchester has that heritage and all Absolutely. that. But they yeah. didn't keep up. They 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 when I went back, they're closed. But, uh, <laughs> But it wasn't as popular as what the Red Arrow is, but gotcha. it was uh, it was similar to that. And they had poutine, and they had their hand cut fries, and they had their burgers. But that was it. They didn't have they didn't have smoked meat. Gotcha. And then if you went to other big towns, uh, smoked meat was very important. Chez wheat in in Quebec was sure. very was probably one of our first a uh, first experience with. Uh, smoked meat and it's not something that we had at home all the time we would buy Saint Hubert uh, <laughs> gravy and we would actually just uh, we'd make our own french fries and we'd buy frozen french fries and we'd make we because no one owns a fry later sure, right of I mean, course. You, so you, every time you fry something in your house you're, for the next week you're smelling that 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 damn fry that's awesome so we would do that uh, but we never really had that as a meal at our house I mean, I don't know about you, but it was never something because it was always available somewhere else. Got you. you don't have to stink up your house. You can go to <laughs> Chez Serge and buy five pounds, two pounds of, of French fries and do your own puts in at your house with your gravy from Saint Zubat. That's awesome. Yeah. And in my town, like you have so much different poutine choice. You know, oh, you really? have the poutine with the spaghetti sauce on the top. Spaghetti yeah. sauce. You have, Italian poutine. Yeah, Italian poutine. You okay. have another one called like the galvo. So that was like a chicken with a base of um, green, peas. Like green peas. Yeah, that so sounds that really was, good, actually. Yeah, was it, it sounds good, right? <laughs> yeah. So they put a lot of meat on the poutine sure. over there in And then the Big Mac yeah. poutine and all sorts of things. I mean, you, you, they, they, <laughs> That's kind of, there yeah, is, they go crazy. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And I did see on the way in, which was very cool. Uh, I don't know what, I forgot what it was called, but it looked like 
the pork pie I had growing up. Oh, yes. that you guys are selling yeah. here for the holidays. For the holidays, yeah. And tortilla. Yeah. Tortilla, right. So we started this like uh, last year, and it was the first uh, time. Like we, we, I really want, I enjoyed this yeah, a it's lot. Good. I love it. So I want to <laughs> try to, you know, uh, ask the customer to see like what it is. And we've been really successful last year. So again, this year for the holiday, like the customer can order that. So that's great. We actually, honestly, the tortilla for us, right? it's something that we ate every year. Every yes. yeah. there, it's a it's a ritual. Right? There's yep. no thing, yeah. there's no going beside it. Uh, and by the time we finished uh, our tortilla journey, uh, we thought we were professionals and we knew how to make <laughs> a tortilla. Sure. And we said to our chef uh, Don in the back, we said, hey. We're, we want to do tortillas and we want to have our own baked crust and we want to make our own crust. We want to make everything from scratch. And, sure. And it, but we don't have a recipe. Come up to us with a recipe of your own okay. because we want to mm -hmm. make it unique. We don't want to tell you what to do. It's a pork pie and this is what it looks like. Have you heard about it? He goes, yeah, I've heard about it. Don't really know. Well, <laughs> uh, it's the best damn I've ever had. Yes. I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like this. I know. I'm this like, guy this is the first has time. never done one, That's and awesome. he comes up, and, and it was so delicious. And we sold. We had a max. We said we're not going to sell more than 25 or 50. I can't remember what it was. Uh, and by the time within a couple of days, we had sold out. So That's we looked so at awesome. him. We said, Duh, "Come on." Yeah. And you make some more, and he's like, oh, are you kidding me? Because this is our busy time. We're doing parties after sure, parties sure, after sure. parties. So to make tortilla takes a lot of space and, because you're cooling them. Right. And then we're putting them into the box. So you got to make the boxes. you got to make the label. you got to put everything on it. So we were not in the industrialization of fabricated <laughs> food. So to make this at that level and to have that stored... And then to have everyone coordinate and come in and do uh, and, and pick them up. So it was a little bit of a nightmare last year <laughs> at the beginning. We finally got it right, and it is just to die for. It's that's awesome. Old. Now, the always important. By the time this airs, though, but this is going to be uh, done. It's no right. more tortilla, but for next year. For sure. <laughs> the big question, of course, is potatoes or no potatoes. That's always the debate we have. Whether you put potatoes in, I your don't know if we're going to be. I can't remember if we did potatoes last year. Yes, we did. Yep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We put yeah. some potato inside. That's yes. It. Now, did you guys grow up like we're always told here that like basically every family has their own recipe. Yeah. It's always different. Yeah. Like I know it's funny. I tell people and they think I'm absolute lunatic, uh, but my meme, uh, she made hers with no potatoes, but she put nuts, which I thought was wow. oh. nobody else yep. had ever heard of before. Um, but yeah, so is that kind of the same thing you experienced growing up? Like every holiday, every family's bringing their own yep. recipe pork pie to yes. the table. Absolutely. And it's awesome. Just, I, I would say it's the same. Uh, and in certain regions, they have like the Tortilla de Lac Saint-Jean. It's, sure. it's a seven layer. Oh, wow. And it's a very thick. And it's not, it's near, it's not nearly as, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a lot more complex than a regular Tortilla. Okay. And then it's a bit like saying, how's your chili? Right, oh, I know. It's the same exact thing. I got that. Yeah. That's I mean, cool. Recipes for chilies are sure. so diverse. The same thing for tortilla. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of family doing it with um, deer. So half deer, oh, okay. half pork. So that's that's awesome. That's a Never trend. had that. Yeah. I'm willing to try the idea of those. Yeah. Sounds amazing. I love yeah, same thing. Growing up, you could not have Thanksgiving, New Year's, Christmas. You had to have a pork pie <laughs> on the table. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, maybe you can tell us, what is Hip Pea Farm? 
Well, Hippie's Farm is a, it's a transformation that happened about two years ago. We had the opportunity to, uh, somebody was, somebody offered us a, a piece of property and it was about 275 acres and it just had me dreaming because it, it was supposed to be a big deal. It's like, okay. oh yeah, I've got this great deal for you. Uh, it ended up being a lot more expensive than what we expected, like three times the price oh, wow. of what we were expecting. So by then it was a little, we had gone back and forth with him and we thought that he was bleeding and he was struggling and he wanted to get out of it and sure. he wanted to dump it. And so we were like, we're willing to take you on as an employee and we're willing to do th certain things with you and, and, and take, you could still stay on the property and be the property manager and all that. Uh, but it was too big. It was way too expensive. But at that time, I had created that spark in my imagination that I could become <laughs> the, a farmer. The next spark. Yes. Yeah, and I could become uh, a, a food supplier for our own restaurant. That's awesome. And it was also the fact that one day I walked into the back of the, uh, the, the, the storage and I saw a potato in, I think it was October or November. Uh, October it was. And, I, and it, it, the, the whole box was like, ugh. It looked like it was a, a last year's potato, and I'm like, what happened with this? Yeah, we're returning it. I'm like, why are we getting potatoes like this? Sure. Well, it's October. We should be getting fresh potatoes. This is not last year's potatoes. Well, we never know. So I said, you know what? I'm going to start my own restaurant, <laughs> my, my own farm. That's and, awesome. And uh, that deal <laughs> fell through. Okay. And then... We saw a uh, property on uh, Route 3A and 191 West River Road, uh, right next to Giovanni's on, on Route 3A. And it was five and a half acres. It was an old farmhouse, 1860s, uh, with a barn. And we looked at the property and we said, you know what? Do you think you could do something here? And she's like, I love the place. I, I think it's a, <laughs> we could rent it for weekends and we could do a wedding venue here and we could do all of our gardens in the back and serve the tap house with all of our fresh food. And it was a far-fetched idea. It was the most ludicrous idea that we've ever had. It was like more than starting, more a, restaurant. Than starting a restaurant because we were making money. And oh, sure, it was of like, course. It doesn't make sense to go and be a farmer and to be poor because farmers work really, really hard for their money. Yeah. And so we said, you know what? First year, second year, we're just going to scrape the bottom of the barrel and we're, we're going to struggle and it's going to be hard. And are you willing to do that? We're like, you know what? We've got enough cash flow to support a little bit of, of loss there and invest into a property that's going to be ours, unlike a, a shopping center where we rent, you know, you're leasing the property. Sure. You don't have any collateral. So we said, let's invest into our future and do something that we've never done before and reinvent ourselves again. So we went after it. That's we awesome. Hired uh, Dan Bernsteel, which is our farm manager, uh, that started laying out the farm. Um, then I laid out the the big scars on the property for irrigation, for electricity, and did some parking lots. And last year in March, uh, this year in March, we got certified organic. So Very cool. and then we had we are now on our third greenhouse. Uh, so we have 6,000 square feet of greenhouses right now. We're growing all of our vegetables during the winter. We're putting in a processing plant in the back of our uh, two, three greenhouses. 
and we're doing uh, basically all of our vegetable processing there and also we're also utilizing the uh, oil from the tap house, all oh, the, wow. the used frying oil, sure. and we're filtering that and we're using that to heat the that's the, awesome to, to, to use for the boilers and to right. heat the greenhouses. We also install a gas system, a ground-to-air heat transfer system in the high tunnels, uh, which takes the heat from the hot the, the top of the tunnels and shoots it down underground into uh, crushed stone beds and it's across the entire 100 foot length and it comes out and it's cooled at the other end. So what you're doing is you're taking your hot air instead of exhausting it outside sure. and, and, and removing that, that heat mat, that right. heat, and wasting that heat, we're storing it underground and at nighttime when we're pushing that cold air from the inside of the greenhouse through those hot stones, it comes out at around 70, 75 degrees. Oh wow. So we don't have, we have about four and a half to five hours, even six hours of free heat that we're getting before the temperature starts to drop to a point where we're now negatively, negatively charging the soil and we're freezing the soil. Sure. But that's fine. I mean, it, it, that's the way it works. Uh, and uh, That's so nutty. And then what we did also is we transformed the bar, the farmhouse into a uh, Airbnb, and we've been renting. It's a five bedroom, uh, okay. thirty two hundred square feet. Now I have to ask. This has been a blast. Uh, started from absolutely nowhere, opened a restaurant, knew absolutely nothing about farming. Decided I'm going to open a farm. What's next? What's the future? <laughs> I think this is it, right? Well, the wedding venue. The wedding venue is one. Uh, <laughs> the breweries uh, are debating right now, and there there's a lot of breweries right now that are fighting for the same piece of action. Sure. I'm not quite sure that it's all going to be fun and games for everyone for the next ten years. So, uh, I, I I would like to get into the brewing part of it gotcha. at one point. Sure. Uh, but primarily, I would say my next goal is to enhance the town that we live in and make it a better place awesome. and uh, utilize where we're doing some recycling we're, do, we're doing some recoup the, the we're, we're taking the all the waste from the tap house right now and we're composting that uh, at one point we're going to outgrow our property for that so i want to be able to off uh off uh, do some off siting and utilize town property to be able to do a community uh composting Something that, of that nature, just to give back a little bit, because we're fortunate. I mean, we have the opportunity yeah, sure. to be fortunate. Uh, and then, standalone building for a tap house uh, is in our uh, is in our cards. And if at one point our kids decide to go into this uh, and and invest their time and effort into this, I think that a tap house number two and a franchising <laughs> opportunity awesome. would be uh, That's so great. And then if they do not decide to do that, then I have a concept of uh, a ca semi-casual uh, sandwich shop that would be nice. a bit similar to a Subway, but with a sophisticated twist. That gotcha. would be, yeah. Some Montreal smoked beef. Everything made from scratch, yeah. All of your smokers so and all of your own breads and things like that, so yeah. Well, this is awesome. With a lot less people to handle. That would be my <laughs> there goal. There you go. Yeah. Well, this has been way fun. Um, as we're just closing down, if somebody wanted more information on the on the tap house, on the farm, on getting that awesome place to have a wedding, where can we send them? Where should they look? So we have a website, and we also have a Facebook. We're really active on Facebook. So the website um, taphousenh.com. 
Very cool. And hippiesfarm.com. Very awesome. And then we will have some other offshoots of those companies that we're going to be for the wedding venue that have not been created yet. But <laughs> soon. To the works. Yes. It's awesome. Well, I had a great time. And Valerie, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.